0: everybody. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. You're in for a special treat today. I'm so excited about this because the one and only Richard Roop is in the house. He is actually here. A lot of you guys know him. He was one of the guys who got me started in the business. He's one of the most brilliant marketers I've ever had the privilege to get to know and meet and follow and learn from his teachings. A lot of what I teach in this business, a lot of what I do came from this guy, Richard Roop, and he's got an amazing story to tell. It's going to blow your socks off. I don't see how we can get this all into one podcast. I've already twisted his arm and I said, could we please maybe break it out in two. I know you're real busy. And so we'll see how it goes. Richard Roop has been in the business a long time and I'm gonna ask him to introduce himself to you. A lot of you guys don't know who he is. A lot of you guys do. A lot of you guys have bought his courses in the past. And so we're gonna be sharing his story. Some crazy things has happened to him and it's gonna be a lot of fun on this podcast. But first couple announcements, house cleaning things real quick. This podcast is brought to you by my book, Wholesaling Lease Options. This book is completely free. Just pay a little bit of shipping and handling and I'll send it out to you. This is the book that I use. A lot of the strategies, Richard, I used from you, creative real estate deals. Um, send copy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a copy. <laughs> um, the, this book, you can get it at WLObook.com, WLObook.com. It's free. Check it out. And I'd love to send it to you. All right. Second thing is a lot of you guys were watching this right now live on Facebook and YouTube, and we'll be releasing this later as an audio podcast. But if you're watching this live and if you have any questions or anything that you want to ask Richard, please type them in the comments or in the chat. Yeah of the YouTube and the Facebook and we will get that out to you. I mean, we'll I'll display the question here and and you'll get a chance to ask Richard a question or uh, have any comments and things like that that you want to say. So, good, please go ahead and type in the comments. Tell us hello, say hi to Richard, tell us where you're from and we will yeah, we'll go from there. So, that's all my announcements. Um Richard, how are you? I'm doing awesome, Joe. It's great to, it's great to be hanging out with you today. I'm so glad you're here, man. I can't tell you how many CDs I probably still have them in the trunk of my car. <laughs> They've been in there. I used to listen to them every day. I used to drive a lot to, to work and I would listen to the CDs that you did. Uh, you did with Dan Duran, the What's Working Now CDs were my favorite CDs. That must have been in uh, between 06, 07, 08, 09. as when uh, I was just, I devoured everything that you had. In fact, right behind me, right down there, I'll get it in just a minute. I have your entire course, The Ultimate Strategy. Do you remember that? Oh <laughs> well, it, it it's perfect. It's actually
1: perfect for today. I, I created it after the last financial meltdown.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we got a lot to talk about, but so welcome. Can you please uh, tell the folks that don't know who you are, talk a little bit about yourself and how did you get started in real estate and kind of your story there? Okay. Well, when I got out of the air force, I moved to Hawaii. My wife was stationed in Hawaii.
1: I did buy some real estate investing home study courses off of the infomercials. I read a book, how to make a hundred thousand dollars a year as a stockbroker, no experience necessary. Really? And I qualified. I just, I started a Richard Roop marketing and advertising while I was in the Air Force and I was going to expand on that, but I read that book. And so when I went, got to Hawaii in 1987, if you remember the stock market crash in 1987. Yeah, kind of. Uh, okay. So yeah, Black Monday. That's um, yeah, okay. So I went and I interviewed at different stock brokerage firms. And basically the book said, they're not looking for skill. They're looking for attitude. Okay. And they'll train you. I went to a Tom Hopkins sales seminar yeah. and I met a guy who said he was with this brokerage firm and they're hiring. And I went in there and they, were, they sold commodity options, options on commodities, and they actually were selling me on why I should come on board. Okay.
0: You ever see that movie
1: Boiler Room?
0: Uh, yeah, a long time ago,
1: yeah. It was like that. Okay, yeah. it was. It wasn't a good thing. It took me six months to figure out it wasn't a good thing. Actually, when the stock market crashed in October of '87, I was telling my clients to not follow the research that the company was putting out, but go ahead and short the market. So I became like the number one broker in the office that that month. And but I decided I wanted to to go off and you know uh, sell personal growth and development. We had some speakers come in on that, Doctor. James, I came on as his marketing director. Built that company for six years, multi uh, into a multi million dollar company, publishing books, tapes, doing seminars, and all that. That's where I became a marketing expert, studying all the gurus: Dan Kennedy, Gary Halbert, Ted Nicholas, Jay Abraham. I did a joint venture with Jay Abraham back in 1992. Wow. Uh, then my son was born. I started doing marketing consulting. I, I left the company. I sold my, my interest back. And I, was, I, I knew so much about marketing, I could go into any business and, and increase their sales and profits with direct response marketing. When my son was born, we decided to move back to the mainland in 1995. I, re, I researched the best places to buy real estate, own real estate, live, work, retire, because the Joe, the, the two properties that I bought in Hawaii with my VA, my VA, no money down. That's what I got out of those courses. How Your do you get a loan? Not a virtual <laughs> assistant. but No. Uh, Veterans Affairs. Veterans. Uh, yeah. Zero down loan. So I bought a townhome. And then a year later, I rented that out and bought another townhome. And those two properties within two years at the end of the 80s doubled in value. So I got the real estate buck. Yeah. When I got to Colorado, I went ahead and got the Carlton Sheath course in 90, end of 95. 95. I thought it was kind of weak, right? So I went on the internet in 1996 and went to Ron Legrand's convention. No way. And I bought all of his stuff and, and everybody else's crap. But his three quart modules uh, got me started. In fact, I got a referral from Colorado Springs on a lease option deal. And I did my first deal within 30 days. I got... You know, I got it under contract, no money. Within a a week, I collected $3,000 from my tenant buyer, you know, and then so what I did is I started using my marketing skills, my copywriting skills, creating ads and advertorials and direct mail to uh, start buying houses. I bought my first fixer upper in April, and I started buying houses every month since then. And so up until I stopped buying in 19 or 2014, and I bought over 500 houses. And when I retired, so to speak, I had about 56 properties at the time,
0: which I no longer have. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. (laughs) Um, crazy. So you bought Ron LeGrand's courses back in the mid nineties, back in 1996. And for two years, I thought I was so
1: smart. I didn't want to go to any seminars. I just would, I was actually doing well. And then I actually went to uh, like a, a a camp or seminar. Right. And it just took my business to the whole next level. Don't ever stop learning. You never, you never know it all. So I would come to, come to these summits and these events and I would share with Ron my marketing and he'd go, man, that's great. That's great. Come up to stage and teach people about it. <laughs> so I, that's how I got on stage. And then later he was doing an event called Guerrilla Marketing for Real Estate Entrepreneurs. Now I remember those. And I, you could repeat it. I repeated every single one. I went to like three or four of them. Uh-huh. And the last one he did He said, Roop, okay, you're taking this over for me. You're going to present it from now on. He gave me his slides. That last one, I was supposed to watch his process, right? I knew the material. There were transparency slides too, right? Yes, they were transparency transparency slides with an overhead. But that was right before he lost control of his company. They kicked him out. And so they never did any more of those events. So I never actually did the event. And then he rebuilt it. That company's gone. He rebuilt everything. And he's still doing the same thing he did, you know, because all this stuff still works. It still it, works. It still works. And I took five years off and I come back and everybody's doing the exact same thing. And it's still works. I mean, it's, it's,
0: yeah. <laughs> it still works. And, and a lot of people are um, uh, still making the same mistakes too. But I have, uh, oh, you know what I have, Richard, you're going to appreciate this. First of all, do you remember this?
1: Yeah, we did a product launch on that.
0: The ultimate strategy. Amazing. And then check this out. Nothing down by Robert Allen and read this. It says totally revised for the eighties. (laughs) I found this on eBay, totally revised for the eighties with dynamic new profit strategies for cash flow and appreciation real estate. You read this book, like 95% of it is still relevant for today. Maybe he talks about classified ads, right? (laughs) But he still talks about lease options, owner financing, subject tos, how to find motivated sellers, how to talk to them. He's got, I mean, this is an amazing book and it was originally published in 1980 and I bought the 1984 version. Completely, yeah, was, totally revised for the 80s. Yeah. He was the father of no money down real estate. I I, too long. I, his, I read his book. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. You started doing a lot of deals. We're getting a lot of people here that are saying, oh my gosh, Richard Roop. I haven't seen him in years. I have all of his old courses. Somebody is saying here, "Wow, blast from the past. Roop lives. <laughs> Sometimes I can't see their names here. Huge talent. Day Zio. Very cool guy. Someone else says, I still have that gorilla course. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I wish I could see your guys' awesome. names. That was a, good uh, th- a lot of you guys know Richard from the I Buy Houses. Um, no, no. Oh, don't don't, tell me, Richard. I'm embarrassed. I, sh- I should have known this. We Buy Houses on we we'll, we'll, on the date of your choice. What is okay. it? All right. All right.
1: You're, you're still not in the headline there, Joe. Yeah. Um,
0: I... Uh, I created a,
1: an advertorial with a nice headline. It was basically a, like a five-page sales letter in an advertorial. Yes. And then later we put that on an oversized postcard and mailed
0: that out. Yes. And the headline is How to sell your home in 9 days or less at no cost to you. Right. And then you you also had re- like reports and postcards with We Buy Houses on and we can pay for a fair price and close on the date of your choice. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. How to sell your home in 9 days or less. No. Oh. I'll find it. Oh, here it is. Sell your house for a fair price on the date of your choice. Sell your house for a fair price. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that on your postcards? Yeah, we said fair price. Yeah, I remember we switched to that for reasons. Yeah. And then on the date of your choice, a lot of you guys, when you when you see these um, these postcards that people are still using today, a lot of them were written by Richard Rube. You were one of the first guys that created the the sales copy for sellers. People started using them in postcards. You created the big postcard. Um, I'm going to look it up because I know mm-hmm. I have it somewhere.
1: How to how to how to own a nice new home without bank qualifying or large down payment? You know, so <laughs> so a headline is going to give you the what are the top three or four benefits that you offer? Get that right into your headline to suck them into the cup or to get them to click on a link or pick up the phone.
0: Yes. So I can't find it now. I wish I would have prepared this before. Oh, remember your post-it notes. Oh, the Our company is notes. seeking to purchase five more houses in this neighborhood over the next ninety days. I, I did talk to the discount printer.com. over there. It's still there. I taught, I,
1: so I reconnected with him because I was looking up for all my old, you know, what can you find online about me? And, and because I can't find all my stuff. So I'm trying to get some of my stuff back that people put online, but he, I sent people, I, I taught the ultimate flyer system. Okay. The ultimate flyer system is how to get free flyers out, which I could talk about but also the post-it notes. Okay. So very cheap post-it notes. You put them on doors. It looks like you have a delivery notice. Okay. It says attention homeowner. We're looking to five five nice homes in your neighborhood. If you're thinking about selling, give us a call. If you're not thinking about selling, keep this important, you know, with your important house paperwork, send them to a free recorded message websites, two-step marketing. And the discount printer was our source for that. Yeah. And I called him and to find out what he's up to and, and, and may, because I'm 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 launching a lot of new products and I said, "What are you selling mostly? Pins and post-it." Notes. After 18 years of my post-it note being on there, it's post-it notes, not just mine, but other types of post-it notes are the biggest seller.
0: Yeah, they, they're their biggest seller. Wow. Yeah, I mean. I'm looking- email- He just specializes
1: instead of offering everything. He's the post-it.
0: I'm looking at one of your best postcards that I've ever used. And it was one that you did from one of your courses. It says, you know, dear homeowner, our real estate investment company is interested in buying your property at address. We're looking to own more real estate in this area, and we can offer you top dollar because of our long-term buy and hold approach. So if you're interested in selling, you can now avoid the typical costs that eat away at your equity, like agent commissions improvements to please a picky buyer or lowering your price to compete with all the other desperate sellers and bank owned properties that are putting pressure sure on home values yeah. um i could go on and on but it's you know you were really good at oh wait this is the main postcard right yeah. here. Ah, how to yeah. sell your house as is at a fair price on the date of your choice don't you remember that that's what it was
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah we went we, we switched over to that i mean i had uh, three or four good headlines for for buying that postcard you just were was reading it's on a small postcard it looks it looks like it's typewriter font it's yeah. personalized and you know, it's two step and we call that the magic bullet postcard because it would work on any list. You know, if like someone wanted me to, I created some foreclosure stuff, but I didn't like to approach foreclosures with, Hey, I know you're in foreclosure, especially with a postcard. Okay. So <laughs> we would just send that, that postcard. Hey, are you thinking of selling? We don't mention anything about foreclosure. One of the best lists was out of out of the area owners. That's still a great list. Yeah. I just heard today about pre probate is a great niche. Yeah. I mean, there's all, There's all these great lists that you can go after.
0: So this postcard worked really well. You would give people a 24-hour recorded voicemail the top said free special report reveals how to sell your house as is at a fair price on the date of your choice if you want to sell your house listen to all the benefits guys here that richard's talking about here it's all not features it's benefits if you want to sell your house in the fastest easiest and most convenient manner manner read this important message you may discover the perfect solution because we buy houses throughout the whatever region and you talk about how we can help you avoid and here's how to get more info and you gave them a toll-free number where they could listen to a message you even gave them a website, and you gave them another option to call and get somebody to answer live. Yep. And and you know what? Some, some
1: people are still using free recorded message lines and it's not a bad idea to give them that option. A lot of people will go to your website or, or, or give you a call. I don't want a direct call unless they read the three or five pages first, just to pre-qualify them. But if you have someone taking the calls, take the calls, or if you have time and you need deals, take the calls. We try, we didn't really want to take calls from post-it notes, but we, I think we might've, I might've had someone in my office do it. I never
0: Post-it notes were real similar to the postcards that I'm just reading here. And I've done them a dozen times or more and they always worked. And it was great because I would do the postcards to my main zip codes first. And then a month or two later, I would do the postcards and I, I would get the same amount of response rates, but the people that were calling on my post-it notes were the ones that were not calling on the postcards. You understand what I'm saying? So, so the postcards are going like, if you get the
1: owner, it's going to the owner with postcards. So that's good. Post-it notes, It's going to tenants, vacant houses, you know, it's not always going to the owner. So, yeah, that's good to have multiple pillars of marketing targeted to the same neighborhoods. And the post-it note is about nine cents distributed, and about two or three cents to print up if you get a large quantity. So it's half the cost of a postcard, even you know. So it's about half the cost of a postcard, but you have to manage, you know, getting people out there. But I just
0: I went to Google. I did a search for St. Louis flyer distribution. I found a guy that could do it. I forget the total cost, but it was about fifteen to twenty cents per post-it note to get them delivered on people's doors. And I'd get flooded with calls whenever I did it. I don't know why I stopped, but. how could you not read
1: a post-it note on your door, a yellow post-it note on your door? You're going to get it read. How many people read all of their email, right? How many people answer all of their calls, right? Uh, If you send direct mail, you got to get it open, okay? So never make everything look like you sent it to one person unless it's a postcard, which you don't have to get open. Then you have to have a good headline. And so that postcard, that magic bullet postcard we talked about, yeah. we, 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 the headline had their address in it. And I know you've seen that. People yeah. have done, you know, a lot of people are doing that.
0: So guys, I'm excited to talk to Richard about this because anybody that you see right now that's using direct mail or postcards, they're using it and they're teaching it. We all copied it from this guy. Richard Roop kind of started this. Yeah, maybe Carlton Sheets and Ron LeGrand talked about direct mail a little bit, but it wasn't until Roop did this with putting this this benefit-driven message on ugly typewritten font on a postcard. And I remember Richard when I was doing this, going to different print companies and they would say like, this is ugly, this postcard, this won't work. They would tell me this wouldn't work. And I said, no, no, it does work trust me. And then, you know, realtors look at it and think, well, I can't have my glamour shots photo on. There's no room for my glamour shots picture on here. What? There's no graphics on there. When we did the larger postcards, we actually had some handwritten graphics, you know,
1: circling, underwriting, but no photos. It's just, you know, you put a photo in there. If you're going to put a photo on a postcard, put a photo of their house Mm -hmm. on the postcard you know, that's, that would be worth it. Okay. So if you could download all the public records with pictures of their house and mail with a picture of their postcard here at their house on the postcard, that's great. Anything that personalizes it.
0: There um, is, um, there's technology to do that today. I think they take Google street view maps, uh, pictures. Okay, Richard. So you started, uh, bought over 500 homes. You bought a lot of them, creative financing, subject tos, Lease options, owner financing. What were some it of your favorite? All cash, all cash using private investment. Okay. What, what were some of your favorite ways to buy houses? Taking over
1: uh, existing loans, subject to, and then lease option amount, You know, to tenant buyers, rent, rent to own. Okay. Uh, pretty houses, right? If it if it needed work, I wouldn't fix it up. I would have my tenant buyer do sweat equity. Uh, there's there's no shortage of people that need help getting into houses, and then if you're taking over someone's loan, uh, you can give them, you know, a very good price. If you have to cash them out, you got to knock it down. Right. So I get, so you become a transaction engineer. And that's what I would, that's what I was doing a lot with my coaching clients and my students and teaching is how to, you know, structure and present offers. Here's the most I can pay, you know, your price, my terms, right. And here's, here's the least I can pay, which is, that's not the words, but it's, uh, your terms, my price. So the, their terms is all cash. So it's going to be the lowest price. And then we have one in the middle and it doesn't matter which one they take. So it's the mm-hmm. alternative choice close. And so, and then I like going after free and clear houses because there's, there, there's, you have every strategy on the planet to acquire that property. Owner financing, 0% owner financing. That's what the ultimate strategy is about is having the seller take over, you know, be the bank at 0% interest or 2% interest or whatever you want, if you want to have some interest on there. And that, and then that means that you get rapid principal reduction. So you can pay more for the house. You can pay top dollar. And, and I, I talked to one of my students, Joe, I've been, when I've been catching up with everybody for the past few months I've been doing a lot of calls and it's been great. He said, I still got nine of those houses I bought with the ultimate strategy. And while everybody was having trouble trying to negotiate with banks and stuff like that, I had no problem, you know? And it was, was, that's what it was designed for. Now, going forward, you know, what's on the horizon? Well, we've never seen anything like this in the history of the United States, of the world. And baby boomers are actually starting to downsize. (laughs) And they drove the price appreciation over the past decades. So the long-term trend might be flat to down, For the next 10, 12 years, but that doesn't matter depending on how you buy. I think it's a good time to control without ownership, like with the lease option. I think that's a great model. Also, quick flipping, getting in and out is a great model. Buying with long term owner financing, where if we do, if prices do go down, you have the flexibility of working out with the sellers, like, you want to adjust my mortgage or do you want the house back? You know, so, and they don't want the house back. And you, you know, so they want their income.
0: Well, yeah. And, and as long as you're cash flowing, yeah. then it, what does it really kind of matter? I'm going to share my screen with you here and s- tell me if you recognize this uh, spreadsheet. Do you see that? The is it showing? Profit generator. <laughs> Do you remember this? Do you remember this spreadsheet here? This yeah. is the, from the ultimate um, buying and selling machine, the ultimate strategy. This is your owner financing offer.
1: This yeah, is... it's, it's called the ultimate profit generator. It's a spreadsheet okay. that created. And you stick in all your numbers and it tells you the, the most you can pay with terms.
0: Yes. And then this, whether the other inputs or what ifs, I know this is really small. You, you cover the expenses, the capital needed at closing, the expenses needed. So oh, it's got to get everything in here. There's
1: no way you can, you can buy bad if you have the right numbers in there. And so some of them you have to, you know, pull out of the air or whatever. And and the the less certain you are about your exit, then you just buy back. okay? Okay. And the way you do that on this is you put in, I want to make $40,000 forty thousand dollars if I buy and sell this house well if you're uncertain about it put 60 put 80 you know put whatever makes sense so that it, so that you're excited about the offer that you're presenting the seller and I yeah. think Joe this actually presents three different offers
0: yeah you had here I wish I can remember where um, it's the Mayo generator here offer one subject to cash later subject to cash now offer three all cash pay off the loans or subject to interest on the equity. And you know what? That's the maximum allowable
1: offer generator, but I actually later published the ultimate profit generator.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know you kept on updating this thing and I had a hard time keeping up to date with it. But it's real, I mean, I've done so many deals with that thing. Let me stop sharing my screen here. So we can get back on. Uh, but That's, it was a great calculator. And I with my coaching clients I started my I started doing joint ventures. I, I,
1: I would help them buy houses and then if they bought a house, I'd get ten grand. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I would I would do uh, deal structuring, I would do, you know, work on any part of their business, but I would do we actually did all the marketing for them. We did just about everything for them, but anything that they needed help with, they could do with me, including calls with sellers. I would call the seller and make the offer. Yeah. <laughs> and we and that,
0: and we would use that
1: that software tool was always used to for presenting off.
0: The strategy was real simple, you look for houses with equity, right? And you send them mail. Yeah. And what's the definition of a house with equity? If you would buy it for what they owe or less,
1: it has equity. If you, if you, if they owed 60,000, would you take over the $60,000 loan? So, you know, but what if they owe 80% on the dollar or 90% on the dollar or 95% on the dollar or a hundred percent on the dollar, you might want to take it. I would buy it. If I could buy it with a hundred percent financing, it's got good terms. It's a nice house. Uh, if you would do that now, it doesn't really have equity by definition, but, but if equity, it has
0: cash flow, then maybe that would work or move into it.
1: Yeah. That's what happened when a guy in, in Colorado called me up with a million dollar house it was on the parade of homes. It was featured on HGTV Uh, So a lot of people have done events at this house and he called me up, uh, you know, from my ads to to buy his house. And I say, well, you know, he had it on the market for a million dollars. It's like, well, it's not really. It's 6,600 square feet. And it's like, it's really not what I I buy, but I'll come take a look. Well, I went and took a look and then I made the mistake of showing it to my family and wound up buying it with uh, owner finance.
0: All right, all right. So you this was the mid nineties, you started getting involved with real estate. Then you started buying a lot of properties over five hundred over the next ten years or so.
1: Ninety-five to
0: fifteen, so almost twenty, 20 years. Percent. Okay. And you were you're really well known for creative Deal structuring, offering, and I use this term all the time: price or terms. You know, you talked about that a lot. Price or terms. I can get you their price, but I can't get you those terms. Or if I can give you the terms that you want, you have to give me the price that I want. And it was just a real simple way to approach sellers and talk to them and say, "Let's work this out. I can get you what you need, right? If you're negotiable on the terms. And if it doesn't work for them, it doesn't work for me.
1: So if they accept your offer, it's win-win. Okay, because it was their best option. Okay, if they have time, and you know, then let it give them the time. And that's why it's important to actually follow. I probably a lot of people don't do this. They don't follow up on their existing buyers and sellers list. Maybe their buyers list, but following up with their sellers list—the sellers that said no. That's very important. You got, you could double your business just by following up on your leads.
0: So important. And in the CRMs that we use today, there's a lot of automated follow-up that happens, but that follow-up is so critical. It could be just as simple as sending them the same postcard again, every single month, right? Yep. A letter, Absolutely. a report, an email,
1: yeah. a phone call, a text, you
0: know, a post-it note, a sign. Here's a
1: good one, Bill. Stick as, we find a vacant house, Okay. Signs work really good. If you don't have the sign police, you know, you put, take a sign and you find, you see a vacant house and you can't track down the owner or you don't want to track down the owner. You want them to call you. So you
0: put a sign in their yard saying we buy houses. (laughs) I've heard people doing that. I've never, never had the guts to do that, but yeah, it'll get, uh, it'll get your phone to ring. You have nothing to lose. (laughs) No. All right. So, um, you started teaching and educating people on this stuff. Why did you start doing that? Why did you start an education business? Why not? You just- had a, a lot of people were coming to
1: me after these events that I would go to, and I think I probably did some phone calls or something with with Ron and other speakers and stuff. But people were coming to me to help them with their business. Okay. And so I was do, I was charging consulting. Okay. And I like operating that way, but then I didn't have enough time. I wasn't leveraged. So I, I scheduled my first event in Denver. This was like 2001, about 2000. It was a two day event. I did it with Bill Broncheck and the Colorado association of real estate investors had about 40 people there. I knew from my past experience selling, you know, information products that I needed to record it and have a product. Okay, and that was how to collect five figure paychecks, buying and selling houses. And most people look at that as a marketing course, but I did teach the creative, you know, acquisition and sell side, and that was a very popular course. And that was to, so that was to leverage myself. Now I had a product. Then I created memberships and created a newsletter, you know, a free newsletter to get leads, and then I just continued to create my marketing mastery bootcamp. That was my next event. And then we started doing that three to four times a year with, you know, like 300 people or whatever, paying 4,000, you know, a shot, put that into a home study. So that was a bonus when they came now. So all my stuff would be like a bonus for when they came to the high level event. People wanted coaching. I did not want to do coaching. I did not want to call people and hold them accountable for doing what they said they're going to do and checking in on them and all that. So it wasn't until I I started working with uh, Dan Duran and Dan got me in touch with Willie hooks and he was the head of our coaching department. So all of our coaches were either expert students in real estate or expert coaches that learned real estate. So we had a phenomenal coaching program and I didn't do the coaching. I just did the group group stuff and we offered unlimited support. So if they didn't get help from their coaching captains or their coaches or the group calls that we did about four group calls a month, then they could get, jump on my schedule anytime they want. So it, we wanted to make sure they were taken care.
0: You guys, uh, I mean, uh, you and Duran, it was called Roop Duran, was the name of your company at the time. And Willie Hooks was also one of the main coaches too. Talk to, I had Dan Duran on a podcast a, a year ago or so. Yeah, um, I, I found that the other day. Yeah, he's still active. Still sounds like the same guy. He <laughs> uh, He could sell ice to an Eskimo you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm the mark. See, he says Dan Duran, the marketing man, but he's really,
1: you know, I was, we were a good match because he was the sales guy. I was the marketing guy. I wanted salesmanship multiplied. When I put my website out there is it was richardroop.com. Then it went to roopduran.com and then it went back to richardroop.com. Okay. But we met, we hooked up because I had all these people calling me up and say, why should I buy your course? And I said, well, didn't you read the website? (laughs) I didn't have patience for that. Dan
0: would jump on that opportunity
1: <laughs> and sell them in coaching. So
0: <laughs> we <laughs> so. got some Seth Williams is in the house. Seth is a guy who has a great, Blog. Do you call still call it a blog, Seth? It's a website called RE Tipster, re He's got a good podcast too. But he says the ultimate strategy from RuP and Duran was pretty epic REI concept. I was always fascinated by the concept of sending out multiple seller financing offers to high equity owners. Carl Randall says here, I used to love listening to Richard talk about deals he created. He was so creative. Yeah. So I love that. Forty percent of the houses today are free and clear. 40%. And that's from the US Census. I remember you talking about that. It used to be 33%. I just got some new st-
1: statistics, not the current census because they're working on that now. But yeah, 40%.
0: Another friend asked me here, you he just texted me, would you still recommend the ultimate strategy today? The, and, and maybe explain what the ultimate strategy is.
1: Okay, the ultimate strategy is that you, got, you, you target homeowners in your farm area, in your price range or whatever. You, actually, you can buy in any price range with the ultimate strategy. That's one of, one of the reasons it's ultimate you target free and clear houses and you ask people hey you want if you're thinking about selling give me a call so if they're thinking about selling they give you a call and you can you can pay more than anybody else by structuring phenomenal financing for yourself and you only as you know with that software you only offer the seller a monthly payment that the house can afford so no negative cash flow in fact, usually a positive cash flow. But even if it's a break-even, take into account all of your expenses, all of them, right? You're getting if you're paying a thousand, you're getting a thousand dollar principal reduction every month. <laughs> yeah. So you're paying down the mortgage. And so as long as you keep for uh, long enough where the mortgage is going down and you don't sell it and we had strategies to make sure that uh they didn't sell it for a number of years because we get the benefit uh but but it worked out for them then you could pay more for the house you could pay top dollar for the house if you're getting rapid principal reduction and a positive cash flow and what I was doing is I was actually I was putting in a private money first small first well protected so $100,000 house bringing 20 grand Give the give the seller 10. That would be one of my offers. One offer would be no money down, one would be 10 grand down. Right. Give them 10. And then I have 10 to hold it, fix it, get it occupied, have some operating capital. So I have a twenty thousand dollar, you know, first mortgage and the seller takes back theirs on the second.
0: Do you would you still recommend that strategy today, given the current market conditions and the climate? I cannot,
1: because as we'll get into it, the 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 Colorado Division of Securities came after me and and said that my entire real estate operation, now they just said since like past few years, but I hadn't done any, you know, everything was the same over the years. They said it was a Ponzi scheme because I was taking investor money, my private investor money. And if I didn't pay off a private investor, I would replace them with another investor. That's called refinancing. Oh yeah. Give cool. them an equity position. They said that, but by definition of paying one investor off with another investor, it was a Ponzi scheme. Okay, they didn't know anything about my business. They and they never found anything in my business afterwards that would you know, justify that. And they dropped that allegation, right? But not until they destroyed my business and to the point where they actually took my 56 properties. Actually, at first they took 38. They let me keep 17. They took 38 into receivership, which I thought they would take care of the agreements and sell the properties and pay everybody off. It's not what they did at all. I'm not allowed to talk about what the division of securities did, but I can talk about what the receiver did. And then later, so they said you can. But our settlement agreement was they'll take those 38 properties and take care of them, right? I'll keep 17 that don't have any private investors on it, right? <laughs> Within a year, <clears throat> they put my company into bankruptcy and took the rest of my property. And during that year, they wouldn't allow me to manage my properties. So I was put in like a no-win situation, and I do know that the receiver involved. His job was to go out and find, you know, wrongdoing in the in the operation. They couldn't find anything, so they just kind of gave up and turned it over to a bankruptcy trustee. After a uh, after all the equity mo- is pretty much taken out, and they defaulted on every agreement. Here's what they did, Joe. They collected the income on all of my properties that they took over and didn't pay anything out. And they, for all of their time, the receiver got $350 an hour and had a team of five or six attorneys at $250 an hour. And so
0: they just drained. They just they collected burned. the rent and was, were there mortgages on them? They didn't pay the mortgages? Yeah. I had properties I took subject to. I had, I had
1: properties that, you know, just with private investors, right? So maybe a private investor first, I had I don't know if I had any lease options that I acquired. Most of them I had, you know, in, you know, title to. Okay. So they stopped making payments to all the private investors, all of the banks, all of the sellers, the seller carrybacks. They defaulted on all the agreements with the sellers and the buyers and the, and the lenders, all the lenders. It it just, it's hard to, nobody who knows what happened can figure it
0: out. We even, even Adam. To your podcast with, with um, Josh. Cantwell.
1: Yeah, J- Josh
0: Cantwell. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He was talking about how to raise private money. He, th- these are the five steps. I have a course, how to raise mil- millions of mo- dollars in private money. And it's the same process. The process is the same. Everybody's doing what I was doing. And it's like, okay, well, what should we do differently? Your, which is what your question was. Should, would you do that? Everybody's still doing what I did. And as long as you're in a position where you can keep your agreements, and I was keeping my agreements. Okay. But But when they took it out of my hands and defaulted on it, there goes my reputation. There goes my life. 20 years of buying, you know, doing great business.
0: That was my retirement plan. I want to talk about that. You you got a little bit ahead of me, but this is really good because a lot of people, you need to pay attention to this because there are a lot of lessons learned here. And I think Richard... (laughs) has a lot of things that he, he can share with you. And I don't know if we can get it all in this podcast. I want to talk a little bit about this, though, kind of how it all started. By the way, Josh Cantwell, he does talk a lot about going through legal channels and creating, uh, you know, the SEC has certain 503 BC's Qs. I you- followed all of that. You did. You even created that, those. It's like, I followed all
1: that. They claimed, it's because the statute, and I, again, I can't I can't talk about... Okay, so they, the allegations were... Selling securities without a license.
0: Yeah. That's that, that was the big one, wasn't it? That's what that started the whole thing? Well, no, well, what it started was I pissed them off a couple of years prior.
1: Okay. Uh, exercising my rights. And I can talk about that later. But I also had a business partner who I hired to manage my companies, richardroop.com and and my real estate operation and do all the accounting and, and be the general manager. Well, they ripped me off. They were scam artists and they were embezzling. And when I caught them, they basically made threats to me that if I didn't settle, that they were gonna turn me into the division of securities. And it's like, for what? Well, in a deposition, we found out That it was just like she she thought. I had every trust that I had a property in had to have its own bank account. So I was violating the law. And I said, "Where'd you you get that?" And she said, "Well, you told me that." And I said, "Never told you that." So they just they just they put a focus on me. And then in 2012, they just showed up at my my office, spent a whole day with me. Again, I can talk about this later. I gave them all the documents they wanted. I was cooperating. It's like, what is this about? They never told me what it was about. And then they asked for some more documents. So I said, okay, I'll get those to you in two weeks. And then after I gave them all those documents, the buyer, seller, lender on four, 15 properties, they said, okay, give us some more documents. I said, wait a minute. You're not telling me what this is about. Is there any complaints? Is there any, is there, is there any problems? You know, what's going on? I was completely in the dark. They said, no, you're licensed. Cause I was licensed. I got a license as a, um, uh, a securities dealer just to fall to make sure I was following the rules, okay, on the private money. And in the law says any note secured by real estate is exempt from registration and licensing. And those were the two allegations: registration and licensing. And then they said fraud because they said I didn't disclose all the information that a, an investor might. Uh, there's no rules on it, so it was up you know it was subjective. They didn't say I disclosed information on. I had one lawsuit from a seller where I was late on his mortgage and he got a judgment against me because I was 30 days late on his mortgage. One property out of uh, you know over 500 and it only affected that property. And they, they were saying, well, you should have disclosed that to all your private investors. I didn't see any reason to. And we never and we never we never uh, went. We never got it Argued because it was dropped. The fraud charge was dropped, and and I settled on the the other two. I got they got a summary judgment saying that I was dealing without uh, securities without a license and uh, selling unregistered securities. We defended that, and I I talked to Bill Bronchek. He was my attorney. He tells me I can say some of the, the facts of the matter. I just can't you know say anything to to directly or indirectly say that they didn't have any merit. So and I'm under a gag order on that part, but. As far as what the receiver did and the the bankruptcy trustee, I think that should be exposed. This whole thing could be a nice movie or documentary.
0: Okay, so the, um, the our friends at the SEC had their uh, their eyes on you from this complaint. DOS, D- Division of Securities, not national, just local. Okay, the local division of securities in Colorado, right? And so, fast forward a couple of years, all of a sudden, what happens then? You're, you're, okay. you're... What happens? Was, I was a secure, I was licensed, and I was licensed since ninety six.
1: And every, and I knew Cheryl Lemon at the division of securities. I talked to her every year or two. She says, "We can come and you know inspect your records." And I said, "Yeah, come on over." They never did. I didn't have any complaints. They never did. And then when this thing happened, they sent over an investigator with an accountant, forensic accountant, whatever I later found out, attorney, where I spent the day with them. After I refused, I said, okay, if they, they keep asking me for these documents, what if I don't do that? Well, the only thing they could do is take away my license. Well, I didn't need a license. I was, oper- I was just doing that as like an extra thing. And I could put that in my advertising. Right. I didn't need it. So I gave it up. Well, they didn't accept it. And later they suspended it because they wanted to send out a press release that they suspended my license. They also said, put out a press release that I they requested documents and I never provided any of the documents that they requested. When I when I gave them everything they requested until it got too much. Right. And so I was I was fine with that. Then they went away for a year, didn't hear from them. And then I got a subpoena, I think in two thousand thirteen. They subpoenaed all of my business records, you know, going back wherever, all my personal and business records. I had to spend $20,000 getting all the stuff copied, send it to them. And I don't hear from them for a year. Okay. And then a year later they, they requested, they subpoenaed, this is in 2014, the beginning of 2014, they subpoenaed the rest of you know, any updates in the last year. And again, I had to go through the expense of, you know, providing the documents. So they never said they found anything wrong or anything like that until in April of 2014, I got a restraining order saying I couldn't do any business for 30 days until it was before a judge because I'm being sued for those three allegations. So they instantly put me out of business. I couldn't do anything for 30 days. And that's, and I can't really say, but you know, if you don't have any money to defend yourself, if you don't have any income, if if, if it's, they take everything from you. It's kind of hard to defend yourself, and I felt like I was put in that position. And then uh, a year later, you know, we settled, and that was in uh, March of 2015. For two years, I was completely numb. I didn't do anything productive at all; just nothing. And uh, and I I just couldn't wrap my head around what happened. It, it, you know, most of the most of the people involved were friends, family. I bought and sold property from families. I mean, it was a small community. You know, I was embarrassed to go out to the supermarket, you know, and by the way, all these connections, Joe, that I'm making with all my old associates and, and clients and stuff, almost everybody I talked to has a similar type of story where they had this thing that just knocked them silly and then they're coming back, you know? So, uh, yeah.
0: Could you talk a little bit about what happened later with the, um, contempt of, well, I forget what it was. Contempt of um, court. Yeah, the contempt of court. Can you talk about that? They wanted to put me in court so that they couldn't find any, like I said, the fraud charge was
1: dropped, but the receiver acted like it was argued and they won that part because they treated all the private investors and all my notes as securities, not as loans. They they said all the land trusts were sham trusts. And they weren't
0: pooling money either, right? No. One note, one house. Like they would get a deed of trust to that house with a promissory note, right? And one of the reasons I lost
1: the thing about operating with securities without a license is because all of my properties were in a trust and it was, I was the trustee and my company was the beneficiary. So I'm doing business for myself, not for others. They said, because I was using trusts, that was a different entity. So I'm, I'm dealing in securities, even though that's my trust. Okay. On one property, I put a private lender on there. It was a $25,000 note instead of giving them a $25,000 note with very little, you know, equity cushion, I said I'll give I'll put 15 here and I'll put 10 on another prop next door. Okay? So I split up his note, but it was one investor, two notes, two different properties. They said uh, cuz I split up that 25 at that on that one deal, it violated the definition of splitting up notes, and that's how I lost that.
0: <laughs> wow. So,
1: oh, so then you had the to... How, when, yeah. And they wiped out about 15 years of public records. They went back and they scrub public records. I had thousands and thousands of real estate transactions over the years. They went out and they, they actually somehow scrub public records.
0: Just removed them. Why would they do that?
1: I I, I don't know. They wouldn't. You know, there were, I didn't have a lot of communication with them over the years, and they, even though I offered to help them, <laughs> you know, get the properties liquidated. And why would they do that? Because they, their opinion was they weren't really real estate transactions. OK, well, I, I sure paid a lot of money in in, in income tax and
0: property taxes. <laughs> property tax. <laughs> okay, OK, so um, the contempt of court. thing. OK, what, happened? what happened with that? All right. When the receiver took,
1: they, they held me in contempt of court three times the receiver. And by the way, when they, they, uh, when they first sued me, they put out a press release, which, which says, you know, Woodland park man, you know, is alleged to have, be operating a Ponzi scheme or something like that. I put out my press release the very next day. Okay. To the, to the papers. Now later when it went into receivership in March of 2015, there was a delay of three weeks between when the judge, when we settled, when we created, uh, when I agreed, okay, I'll, I'll let them take it over. There was two to three weeks before they actually tr- took over the files and took over the operation. So during those two weeks, I had a couple deals closing. I closed a couple deals. I paid off some private investors out of those deals and they complained about that. And they complained that I was still operating. I was violating the receivership order and they held me in contempt and they found, found, they find me. Then I had uh, another deal where it was, it was one of the properties they let me keep, I had owner carry back notes on it and I com- I moved, I combined two notes because I did four deals with this one seller. This was the ultimate strategy, 0% financing. And I said, okay, well, you're not really protected. I mean, I have a lot of equity over here. Why don't we combine these two notes I'll give you one note over here. No money changed hands. I gave him a new note, started paying them interest, started giving them monthly payments because there was no payments on it either. Okay. And then I extended the term because it came due. That's why we I did that for them as well. Give him a better equity position. They held me in contempt of court, saying that violated, you know, op- that even though it was a seller carry back note, that it was a uh I was dealing in securities and at a hearing with the judge and this was a hearing we every couple months we'd have a hearing with the receiver and the judge at the hearing they arrested me brought me to jail sentenced me to 60 days for contempt of court at the denver i went to the denver county Retentions, retention detention center and i've never been in jail before that was that was a very interesting experience I learned some stuff, and so but you can't put someone in jail for contempt of court if, unless you prove they intended to violate the judge, judge's order. And I proved by showing them the email that I sent to my attorney. I said, I'm going to do this. Is it OK? Am I?" You know, I was asking permission before I did it and I got permission from my attorney. So that proved my intent. So it took 30 days before my attorney could get back in front of the judge and get me out of jail.
0: So but, you, but they were able to run a press release saying I was arrested. So you went to jail, this was right around the holidays too, wasn't it? November of 2015. So during Thanksgiving, were you out by Christmas time? Mm,
1: I was there for Thanksgiving. I was there for 30 days, so probably not, not Christmas. No, not
0: Oh Christmas. my gosh. That's scary.
1: Well, I don't want to create any fear. okay? and I would love to answer people's questions on this because I've never talked about it. You know this, Joe. I've never talked about it. I didn't want to even come close to violating the gag order because they, they a lot of things I did. Me and Bill would say, can we do this? Yeah, that's no problem. And it became a problem. It's like they would never do that. And they did. So I've been, was very gun shy, but I think I'm within the gag order of what I'm saying. And I'm, I'm happy to talk about, I have nothing to hide and I'm kind of over it, you know? So I shouldn't have, one lesson is I shouldn't have shut down for two years and not, because I'm in the business of helping people. So there's two years that went by where I was not helping doing what I normally do. And that put you, you get fulfillment and happiness out of being productive
0: you lost over six million dollars no six million dollars
1: in property so it's about there's it about a million dollars in equity so i lost a million dollars and i lost another million dollars in appreciation because i was actually see they couldn't understand this through my coaching and my my information marketing i was feeding some alligator. okay Because, you know, times are tough. Right. But I was jumping through every hoop I could to keep my promises with all my agreements. They couldn't they figured that, you know, there's something wrong there. But I was making, you know, the money to do that and live my lifestyle and all that. But I knew it would come back. Well, it came back right after they took my properties. And so if I had kept the properties, I would have had $2 million worth of equity because the market, it was like the market went up from there. If anybody knows what happened in
0: Colorado market from 2015 on forward. All those properties probably would have been worth significantly more. Well, at at least
1: an extra million dollars. So there wasn't the receiver admitted there was a million dollars in equity in the, in the estate of 56 properties yet they, what they put it into, they put my company into bankruptcy. So, they admitted there's equity, yet they I didn't put it in bankruptcy. The rec- I didn't even have the right. They put it into bankruptcy. And by the way, during that receivership, they said I violated the receivership order because that I had to um, take my website down, which again I had 17 properties at the time, and they they made me take my website down, which where I manage my properties and find tenant buyers and all that. And uh, I was signing documents as president of bottom line results. I was still president of bottom line results, but they complained about that. They said, uh, you know, that, that I'm operating and yeah, I'm still operating. I'm still the president. I still have my company. I still have these properties. So they wouldn't allow me to actually manage my own properties. And so they complained. I had, Oh, I had a, uh, my press release that I put out. They made me take that down after the fact retroactively they made me take down my press release to their press release that was before it ever went before a judge, because I'm not allowed to say anything publicly. Right. But I said something publicly a couple of years ago. They re- they made me reverse that. <laughs> <And> so <they're... laughs>
0: we could we could talk a long time about this. And I, I want to just thank you, Richard, for talking about it, being willing to share your story. You know, the, I can't imagine the humiliation, the frustration that you can't do anything. It was, it was frustration.
1: I mean, y- you can, you can, in, I talked to Bill Bronchak; He'll talk to you about it too. He can say things I can't, you know, if you want to get both, get us off both together or something, but he, we were just, we, we were pretty smart guys and we couldn't figure it out. We just couldn't figure it out. It just didn't make any sense.
0: Well, I, I definitely wanna do a part two and talk about some of your um, strategies that you can, we can help people with and finding deals today in this market. Um, but I would just wanna ask you to wrap, one more question to wrap this up, Richard, if that's okay. Um, what would you have done differently knowing what you know now Looking back, one of the issues they had was that I ran my an advertorial that
1: I buy houses, you know, sell your house for a fair price on the date of your choice. In that advertorial, I said that I sold real estate notes that paid eight to 12%. Okay. That they called that a public offering, you know, so I wasn't really selling notes. I wasn't d- brokering notes. I was creating notes, right? I was selling a note on a property, my property, right? So that they had, a, I think that They had an issue with that. So no public advertising for private money. Get very good legal advice if you're soliciting private money.
0: So do you think that was it? That was the main thing? It was just they perceived you as soliciting for money? Their main
1: thing was they were saying my private lenders were investors in securities. So they had to write that i be licensed and manage that, okay? Because it's the division of security, Okay. So if you look up the definition of a note, it's any like, you know, a security is a note. A note is by definition a security, but we argued that it was an exempt security because it's secured by real estate. And that's what the statute said. But for some reason, we lost on that argument. Uh, So they treated all of my private loans secured by real estate as unsecured notes. So after I think it's still going on once they. They have millions and millions of dollars in the bankruptcy trustee to distribute now to distribute, but there's not going to be enough to just to make everybody whole. So it, I had secured, secured good equity positions for people and now it's unsecured. So they just get a percentage of whatever's left over, regardless of how secure they were at the time. Cause you know, people made decisions on doing real estate loans based on the house and the loan position And the interest rate, they said that all the interest rate that I sent out was, you know, like return of their investment. So they didn't, you know, they don't even count the fact that their money was, you know, tied up or lessons learned lessons learned. Yes. Maybe I'll think about that. Maybe next time we'll talk about it, because if I. I can't. It's like I. everybody's doing the things that I'm doing. They're not getting in trouble. You do, do good business. Be OK. Be more transparent. Over disclose, over disclose. Make sure everybody in the transaction is fully disclosing, knows what's going on. I always did that. OK, but overdo it. OK, I know some people that like to hide a few things. Don't make sure everybody involved knows exactly what's good. And if you have a problem, take care of it. That's what I did. I would write a check before, you know, before. Just to, even though it wasn't right, someone would complain. I would go ahead and write a check just to get rid of them. Okay, and I I did my entire business for decades without attorneys involved. Maybe a, an eviction attorney. That's about it. You know, so do good business. Write a check if you to avoid a lawsuit. When you go, when attorney, attorneys get involved, it's it's hard to come out ahead. You know, because they're the ones that kind of win some
0: Man, 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 man. So um, let's do a part two if that's okay with you, Richard. Offline here, we'll schedule another time to do it. Appreciate you taking the time to share your story. I'm glad to report that you're kind of back. Sorry, my watch. I'm glad that you're back in the swing of things. You're back in business, maybe not doing a bunch of deals like you used to be doing. But well, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, there, there's so many opportunities, and I really like the educational part, helping, helping people do deals. I do like that. And I did spend two years, after I got out of my funk, I spent two years on the road <clears throat> meeting with business owners that wanted to sell their business, and I offered a marketing program to help them find their buyer for sale by owner. That was a great experience. Okay. And then now getting back, I'm just, this is, you know, I want to share what I know. And I know real estate investing. I know real estate marketing. I mean, uh, and I know entrepreneurship and success and inner game and all that stuff. I just like to share and and help people do the best they can. Uh, I'll think about any other lessons I can recommend.
0: Well, we'll, people can still reach you if they want to reach you. They can go to richardroop.com, right? And that will take them to, you'll show them where you are on Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, Yeah, I'm working on several uh, projects. Like I said, uh, um, mail, let's see, uh,
1: mailfreecards.com, right? And, And a couple other websites, projects that I'm working on. That's kind of the hub place for all that. So richardroop.com, it has links to all my social, the Facebook and LinkedIn. So that's a good way to get a hold of me these days through the social media.
0: Okay, good. I have so many more questions I want to ask you. So let's do a part two. Guys, I want to uh, encourage you to go check out richardroop.com. Do you still have courses on eBay? Can can people still buy your courses? You know what? I have all my courses. I have some great courses and
1: I haven't done anything with them for four, four or five years, right? And in fact, I have one course that I really didn't market in it much is called strategic marketing secrets for real estate and pro- entrepreneurs it's the best marketing course i ever created on this ever okay i have that over there on a thumb drive and it has all everything everything all the tools all the training all the videos audios do- documents it, it's amazing so plus i have all the free and clear cash machine i all my other courses are still valid so i'm gonna hunt up all those electronic documents they all used to be on my website but i had to let that go Okay. Online in my membership site. So I'm going to rebuild that, but yeah, I'm going to somehow get that information out. I'll probably just go ahead and start doing some new training, even though it's the same type of stuff. I've got great new ideas, new ways to find deals. I like finding out what's not working for folks and solving that. So if you have any thing you want to improve in your business, let me know. I'll come up with a solution. I don't already have it.
0: Yeah. I've been, uh, spent a little bit of time with Richard on the phone in the last couple of weeks and just some of the stuff he drops like gold nuggets. Like, have you thought about doing this? And if you tried doing that and you should do this and this, and I'm like, what? Like, wait, stop. Let me get a pen and paper. And I can write this down. So Richard does a lot of consulting. And if you, um, if you, anything that we've talked about here resonates with you and your situation, and maybe you just want some help with, uh, structuring some deals, or maybe even uh, getting into the coaching and consulting business yourself, go reach out to Richard, go to richardroop.com. You can also, I I was so, it was so cool to see you starting to get active on Facebook again.
1: I hadn't, I, I hadn't been on Facebook For a long time, for years, and I just was able to figure out how to get in there in January after I started reconnecting with people. So I really started coming back in December. I started getting excited. I had some old clients contact me asking for the help, coaching clients, former consulting clients. And I go, man, why am I sitting around? I was working on another startup, but it's not my passion. This is my passion.
0: Well, oh, good. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Richard. And uh, we'll schedule another podcast guys again, go to richardroop.com and we will do a part two real soon. I want to ask you some more questions about, you know, the right way to do deals, you know, the right way to raise private money, the right ways to structure uh, subject to and owner financing deals. Um, what about substitution of collateral? Do you remember that Richard talking about? Substitution of collateral. So, when do you borrow profits on deals? You know, so I want to ask you a lot of those kinds of questions and we'll talk about structuring deals and on part two. Thanks again, Richard. Take care. All right, Thank you. Uh, first interview in six to seven years, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys all later.